Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. Today, we're speaking with Britt Collins. British author and journalist Britt Collins writes for The Guardian, Sunday Times, Condé Nast Traveler, and many other publications. She's also an activist and has volunteered at sanctuaries around the world from tending big cats and baboons in Namibia to wild horses in Nevada that have inspired features for The Guardian and The Sunday Times. While writing for the British tabloid, The Sunday People, she's raised hundreds of thousands of dollars for many international charities through her investigative animal cruelty stories. As an activist, she has helped shut down controversial breeders of laboratory animals. She lives with her cats in London. Brit. I'd like to welcome you to the show and say that today we're going to be talking about a very interesting book that you've just authored called Strays. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So obviously you have great passion for animals, but I wanted to find out how did you get so interested in cats? I think I've always loved cats. I, I loved animals since I was tiny, but we, we had about 12, 13 cats at one time when I was a child. And it's just something that I've been obsessed with my whole life. I've rescued injured squirrels and pigeons and everything. And I became a vegetarian when I was very young. I started uh, out as a music journalist in the 90s. And a lot of the musicians and people in the industry were vegan or vegetarian. And inevitably, I became a vegan about 20 years ago. And in my spare moments, I've, I've always helped or rescued animals or volunteered with farm animals or, or wildlife. It's just something that I think is in my DNA. That's great. You have sent me this book, which I have to say I've spent my whole weekend reading and I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, it's called Strays. Can you tell me a little bit about the story? It's essentially about a lost cat in Portland and a homeless man who lives on the streets. He stumbles upon her one evening beneath a restaurant table. She's skinny, hurt, injured, and he, he tries to sort of find her home. But when nobody responds to his ad on Craigslist, he has to keep her. And because he's homeless, he normally uh, migrates and drifts the seasons. He goes to California and he obviously had to take the cat with him. And he basically it flips between uh, Michael King, the homeless man, and the cat's owner, who in the 10 months that she's gone, never stops looking for her. And the cat's litter mate, Crito, waits on the porch for her every night. And um, it, it, they have adventures. Michael and uh, the cat, who he names Tabor, have adventures all across the West Coast. They go camping in Yosemite. They have encounters with bears. They uh, escape a cattle stampede. And at the end of this emotional journey, when he's visiting his foster father in Montana, he finds the cat has a microchip. So he has to decide what to do. And he decides to return the cat back to Portland. It, it's it's a really, really moving story. We, I think for those of us that have been in sheltering for, for quite a few years, I think we've all had several great stories of reuniting a lost cat with their family. But in my experience, it has been more of a case of 
you know, a stray being found, brought into a shelter, scanned, and then reunited. I've never really thought before about the different dynamics between having, you know, a current owner versus the previous owner. And is there any question of, you know, who's the better home or who really owns the cat? And I, I don't necessarily think that's a, a question in this book, but it is an interesting question to think about what microchipping has brought to the table to us for in the last, you know, 15 or 20 years or so. If, if we did not have microchips in, in our pets, Tabor would have been Tabor and just stayed with Michael the whole time. How did you find out this story? I mean, where did you find Tabor and Michael and Ron? How did you actually discover this story? And then what made this story more unique than maybe another, you know, reuniting story? Well, I always loved reading animal stories, particularly when they have happy endings. But at the time I was living in Los Angeles, um, my then husband and I, uh, we dragged all our cats from London and moved to LA. I was writing a story for The Guardian and while I was researching it, this headline caught my eye. Homeless man travels 3,600 miles to take cat home. And it's just the sort of quirky story that I love. So I started reading it and instantly thought, I have to find this man. The story is everything, love, loss, tenderness, mystery, adventure. And so I did. I tracked down uh, Michael's foster father, Montana. Uh, then I got a hold of Michael and Ron, the cat's owner. And literally two weekends later, we were filming them in Portland. But what's really interesting about this is Ron, the cat's owner, lost Tabor twice. The first time she was kidnapped out of his house by a neighbor who dumped her in the woods. She survived wild for six months and he got her back uh, through her microchip. She was almost put to sleep because the humane society there thought she was feral. She was so sick. She was so skinny. They were going to euthanize her. So he literally saved her within hours. So he actually got his cat back twice because she was microchipped. So even if they go outside, it's just so crucial. Just in case they get out, it's, it's one way of ensuring that you'll get your cat or dog back. And keeping that information up to date, that's one of the things that is really important is that if you move, make sure, or you change your phone number, make sure your contact information is updated with the microchipping company, because that's another frustration that we have in the sheltering world. And one thing that Ron made sure was always kept current was that the microchip contact information was always a direct line right to him. I mean, one thing Ron has done, the cats no longer go outside. I guess he got her back twice. He just didn't want to sort of chance it anymore. And he, he now has uh, another cat that he and I rescued while I was up in Portland interviewing him the second time. And he takes them all out on leads, takes them to the beach or wherever, as he used to do with uh, Mada and her brother, Krito. And he's actually converted his conservatory into a, a room with trees. So they have a sort of sense of the outdoors uh, with, without going outside and, and being safe, basically. So his own own catio version. Yes, his own catio version, yes. <laughs> it's funny. One of the folks that I've interviewed for this show are the folks from an organization called Adventure Cats. It is talking about, you know, people who go hiking um, with their cats, get them outside, you know, a lot of information about different harnesses, different backpacks you can use. And and as I was reading through this book, I, I kept on thinking that this is sort of has a lot of adventure cats on a, to a very extreme degree, but there's a lot of adventure cats there. And um, Tabor the cat seemed to have the personality that worked for that. Um, not every cat could be what Tabor was to Michael, but in addition to being combat compatible, able to travel, 
What other things were was Tabor able to help Michael with? I guess he saw her as a, a warm and constant presence that she just cheered him every day and made him laugh and kept his sort of gloomy thoughts at bay. She made him happier and she made him laugh. And, and that makes a huge difference when you live on the street and have nothing and we, when you struggle with uh, drinks or drugs or depression. She also helped create potentially some community there. There were other characters in the book that knew of Tabor, too with, you know, in Michael's community. She definitely bound them together. In fact, Michael said that summer that they had Tabor, they all became closer. And in fact, a lot of the street kids that uh, hung around with Michael were against him taking the cat back because they assumed, well, you've had her for a year. She's basically your cat. But Michael always thought, he didn't hesitate for a second. He thought she has the right to go back home and you should always do what's best for the animal, what's what's in the animal's best interest, even if it breaks your heart. I mean, I had to rehome one of my own cats years ago that I had from the age of eight weeks old. She was 11 years old at this point. I had eight cats. One of our cats was murdered. These teenage thugs set their dog on her and killed her. And Dylan, in the meantime, was being bullied by two of our other cats. And our friends had lost their cat, Polly. She died of kidney disease. And she had a sister who was lonely and they offered to take Dylan because I, I couldn't constantly police her, you know, being at work and be, having deadlines. And, and I, I tried for sort of years to sort of, and, and in the end, I had to sort of face the realization, well, I have to do what's best for Dylan. My husband at the time said, you know, you're hoarding her. She has half a life. One day she was sitting in a flower box. She felt intimidated to go out into the garden. And, and that's when I thought, well, I have to give her to my friends. And it's really hard, but whatever the situation, you should always do as if they were children. You have to do what's in their best interest. And and Michael knew that. It, it, there was an owner out there who missed her and loved her and who was falling apart. But But more than that, he knew that the cat was better off inside of a home because during their adventure, they had a lot of harrowing experiences when they were living on the beach under a tree, he had to protect her from coyotes. One evening they circled him and the cat and there was a point in Yosemite where he thought he'd lost her. And of course, a cat is always better off in a proper home. I'm sure she was she was loved and well cared for by Michael, but given a better sort of choice of living inside of a home, I think he realized that and, and he didn't hesitate for a second to give Tabor back. Popcats, the celebration of cats meet pop culture, will make its electrifying debut in Miami Saturday, October 28, 2017, at the Miami Airport Convention Center. The curated show will feature a ridiculously adorable cat lounge, visual artists, inspiring speakers, art installations, and the makers of the most innovative products of the cat universe. PopCat's core mission is to raise awareness about cat welfare efforts by crafting an experience that mixes entertainment with advocacy. A portion of proceeds will benefit the Cat Network, a cat-centric not-for-profit organization with over 20 years of service in South Florida. The convention will welcome an invasion of cat lovers, curious spectators, and pop culture fans to a scene flooded with music and immersive art installations specifically designed to ignite shareable memories. The exhibition floor will also grant visitors the unique opportunity to meet national and international talent that have grasped the fascination of the internet community. Highlights amongst the speakers are fervent rescuer Tumblr's meme librarian, Amanda Brennan. 
Lorenzo the Cat photographer Joanne Biondi, and Shark Tank presenter and Apollo's Peak Pet Beverages founder Brandon Zavala. A giant Bubble Cat Lounge will also be a can't-miss feature at PopCats, where attendees will be able to interact freely with an irresistible herd of adoptable cats brought by the Cat Network. For more information and tickets, please go to www.popcatsshow.com. The Community Cats podcast will soon be a year old, with over 200 episodes profiling amazing people who are all making a difference in the lives of community cats. If you would like to support the show, but not be a sponsor, feel free to contribute to our efforts by going to www.communitycatspodcast.com and follow the donate link. Help us to continue to provide excellent programming. What was the greatest challenge in getting this project done? I guess the greatest challenge was getting all the different aspects of interviewing all the different people. I mean, I had to run around between California and Oregon and Montana, and I I had to go through all these places even before I had a publisher. So on top of that, while we were living in LA, we took our five cats from London. Two of them were elderly. They became terminally ill at the same time. I had to look after two terminally ill cats as well as trying to do the interviews, trying to find a book deal. I mean, there were moments where it was horrendous because Edie, for example, one of my two elderly cats, she had oral cancer and I had to syringe feed her five times a day. I had to blend her food because she couldn't eat on her own. And, And it was just, it was very trying. That was definitely the hardest part. And then after you finished writing the story and read through it one final time, what did you feel then? I, I felt I felt an enormous sense of relief that I actually managed to finish it because I think between moving to LA, uh, in the midst of this, I got divorced. I moved back to London and I had to deal with all the difficulties of life as well as writing the story and finding a new literary agent and finding a, a publisher. Although my new agent sold the book within 24 hours. Uh, when my London agent struggled. So I guess American publishers take American agents more seriously, perhaps. I don't know. So what you're saying is you've had a journey yourself while you are covering this journey, a journey about a lost cat, a homeless man, and their journey across America. You also had a journey going on at the same time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, my 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 life while I was writing the book was just falling apart bit by bit. So I had to sort of keep myself together and and write this book. And it, it was very difficult at times because being a writer can be a lonely, hard process at the best of times. Yeah. I would like to compliment the photographs on the book. I, it, who did the photography? I took bits. Linda Tabor, the elderly lady in the book, took the photo of Michael and Ron's friend, who's also in the book, who's a photographer, so it's various people, but Ron's friend shot the cover. That third week after Tabor was taken back home to Ron, we went up there to film them, and he basically shot the cover then. Well, they're beautiful photos, and Tabor is a beautiful, beautiful cat. Tabor is a very lucky cat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think she's really exhausted, you know, most of her nine lives. Yeah, no, it sounds like it. So for folks who are interested in in purchasing a lost cat, a homeless man and their journey across America, Strays, written by you, Britt Collins, how would they purchase this book? You could find it in most bookstores like Barnes & Noble, the big stores like Powell's and Book Soup in LA and Strand, and, and of course on Amazon or Barnes & Noble online or, or BAM. 
it's everywhere online and it comes in four different formats as uh, audio, large print, and an ebook as well as hardback. You are also in the process, in addition to doing this book and everything else that you've got going on, um, you are in the process of putting together a cat festival. Is that correct? Yes, I am. I'm putting together a cat festival in London uh, in June 2nd and 3rd next year. And it's something I've been nurturing for 15 years. And when I, when I moved back to London, I thought I must do it. And it's, it's a cat festival for people who love them. And there'll be a chance to connect with other cat lovers and buy stylish products and fancy food. And also to connect uh, with cat experts, there'll be speakers films, everything. In London, I'm not, I'm not as familiar with uh, organizations, cat organizations in, in London. Is there a good community, a good uh, group of organizations that work together or do people not really uh, come together that often? Oh, there's a huge community. There are, of course, the big charities. There are the little charities. There are the, the vol- all, all volunteer rescue organizations. We're actually working with Feline Friends. It's a small East London charity composed with volunteers and they spay and neuter and rehome and foster. And so some of the proceeds will help feline friends. And then you also mention a little bit about trap neuter return and how that's an important solution to helping cats and communities. There are a lot of people who are against trap neuter and return trapping and neutering them certainly but not really returning them because they lead such hard lives in the streets unless they could be barn cats or unless they could be in a sort of safe area but when you're talking about an urban environment a hectic place like new york or london it's i don't think it's always the best sort of solution to return them and also i've, I've rescued feral cats semi-feral and if you have the time and patience you could actually make them friendly, adaptable cats. So I'm not sure about the wisdom of returning them because they have horrendous lives out in the street. It's not just enough to be fed. I mean, I've I've rescued all sorts of... I I took five off of the roof of a restaurant and um, four adolescent kittens, one with three legs and a daddy cat. And they were a bit skittish, semi-feral, but I ended up uh, neutering and homing them all to lovely homes. And after a while, they became friendly, sweet little cats. Right. It, it takes some time. And if you are able to provide shelter and feeding stations, it helps to be able to monitor that area to a certain degree. Because as I always say, there's, there's Adam and Eve out there. And unfortunately, sometimes people do abandon Adam and Eve. And my objectives are always to make sure that they are spayed and neutered before they get abandoned or and provide programs so that they don't have to be abandoned. But if they do, that you know we're not faced with a lot of uh, feral kittens because I think that's the most challenging aspect. And that's when cats are at their greatest risk out there is when they are in that kitten age range that's really tough out there for them. Yeah, it's, 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 I guess it's a, it's a real sort of struggle to sort of uh, also rehome less than friendly cats. And I mean, I, I remember once when I was an overworked editor and I had seven or eight cats of my own, and there were times where I felt really overwhelmed with the rescuing and fostering. I remember one instance leaving work on a Friday night after an exhausting week, I got a call to help someone trap an injured semi-feral cat in her garden. And all I wanted to do is go home, feed my cats and sleep. But for a split second, I thought I'll deal with it tomorrow. But I, I dragged myself there and that cat wasn't wild at all. He was just scared and injured and 
and I ended up coming in with good friends. No, I mean, it's a tough balancing act. And uh, you have to, at different times of the year, we used to have the, the room at the inn philosophy too, where we might trap, neuter, and return some cats in the summertime. And if they were friendly, we'd go back. And when there was room in the shelter, we would go back and retrap them and bring them in for adoption when we had more space in the shelter. So there's just a lot of balancing that has to to go on in that in that whole process. And certainly the area, you know, where you're doing your trap, neuter, turn. If you're dealing with a colony of 50 cats, it's a whole different story than if you're dealing with a group of six cats. So there's just a lot of uh, moving parts and gray areas in that whole whole process. And if you do have the resources, you certainly can. I've had a a semi-feral cat who I adopted as a kitten, or it's her fourth foster home, and it took her 15 years to socialize, but she's now a happy, roly-poly, friendly 15-year-old cat. <laughs> I, I remember um, Michael Mountain, one of the founders of Best Friends Animal Society in Utah, when they flew over 300 street cats and dogs from Beirut during the war. And he kept a couple of those. And he said, you know, it, it's, they were unfriendly and difficult, but after a while, they, they just adapted. And, you know, he could actually pick one of them up. Right. So, Britt, if there are folks that want to find out more about the work that you're doing, about the book, about the Cat Fest, how could they find you? They could find me on my website, BrittCollins.net. And there's also a, a website for Cat Fest, CatFest london.com. And Britt, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? No, nothing I can think of. Sorry. <laughs> not, not a problem. I want to share with our listeners that, again, I read Strays, A Lost Cat, A Homeless Man, and Their Journey Across America. I will say that you might want to have a Kleenex or two by your side. I found it a, a fantastic read. It was great. I think Michael is a wonderful character. I felt Ron's pain, the journey that that this cat had, um, and the relationship that she's had with these two men is, is really, it's a tremendous story. And I do encourage folks to get this book and to read it. I think it's, it's a phenomenal read. And Britt, I want to thank you so much for sharing their story. And thank you so much for being a guest on my show. And I hope we'll have you on in the, in the future, maybe with a uh, book number two. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. That's so kind. Thank you. Thank you for having me again. Thank you for listening to a Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you would go to iTunes, leave a review of the show. It will help spread the word to help more community cats. 